What's going on, everyone? This is Jake Hofer, and this is The Land Podcast. This week, we have a guest named Jay Dirks here, and Jay actually talks about a couple different transactions. The first one being when he was 22 years old, he bought a farm in Missouri that butted up to his family farm. And really interesting story. He bought that right before he was getting deployed to Afghanistan. And that whole process uh, is pretty interesting and a really cool story. And then we also talk about how he bought his first piece of ground in Illinois and has since pieced together a nice acreage there on his house, you know, on his homestead there, or his house, however you want to say it. And we just really appreciate Jay taking the time to do this. He is very knowledgeable in a lot of the NRCS programs and he has done the legwork. So we're going to have him on again and talk about that process. We ran out a little bit of time here. I had to go to Iowa Saturday morning to uh, for a scholarship golf event for a friend. So um, we hope you guys enjoy it. And looks like we have some cold temperatures rolling through, which is um, something I'm very excited about. I still haven't hunted yet. I was thinking of trying to go shoot a doe and, and get the rust off this week, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But regardless, um, hope everyone is getting ready for this cold front and better days to come for the deer woods as always written reviews are fuel for this podcast if you haven't done so and you haven't written a review and you found value in the podcast we would certainly appreciate it and that's enough of all that let's go ahead and get right into the podcast here we go all right good morning I have Jay Dirks here on the line, and uh, Jay, you reached out and sent a, sent a really interesting kind of story on how you bought your first piece of ground, and then since then, you've purchased some more and live there in Illinois, and so it's Saturday morning. How's it going today? It's going pretty good. Temperature's nice, and birds are chirping. Doesn't seem like it's going to rain today, so yeah, we well. Yeah, we've gotten some rain. Well, it was weird because we there was zero rain for a long time. And then we had initially like the long day, you know, 10-day forecast or whatever had one day of rain. And it just fronts this or uh, weather, weather thing. Rain kept coming. <laughs> it looks like it's done for a little bit now, though. Yeah, hopefully my pond fills up now. Oh, nice. Did you put a new pond or did it just go down from how dry it was? I, uh, I put a pond in last year and then I dug it out and made it a little bit bigger this fall when it got really dry and so it's spring fed so it, oh, nice. it's been filling through the drought but i just kind of hoping it would get to the top this weekend yeah definitely cool well for for everyone listening jay can you tell us a little bit about yourself how old you are and what you do for a living so i'm 34 years old i work for the state of illinois as a highway maintainer now and I've had a lot of jobs in the past. I've worked for the railroad. I've uh, got a two-year engineering degree. And I was in the military for a while. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So do you like working for the state of Illinois? <laughs> no comment. Uh, I like things about it. Yes. Sure. Gotcha. Yeah. You're... So yeah, you're right there. Are, do you do most of your work right there in that area? Or like you work on 88? Cause I know they have construction forever right there. So I work, I work in the traffic department, um, mm -hmm. part of the spine crew. So we, we are in charge of district two. So it covers 
eight or nine counties in the northwest corner of Illinois. Mm -hmm. So uh, we work out of Dixon and then travel pretty much in like a two hour radius around Dixon or Whiteside Mm -hmm. County, Lee County. So it's a little bit, we do, uh, we do different stuff every day. So that's the nice part. It's kind of a change of scenery. We're not stuck in one County maintaining like an interstate or, you know, two different state roads. So that, that part's enjoyable. Yeah. That, yeah, I could see how that could get monotonous, but so tell us, tell us a little bit about your, uh, how long were you in the military? So I was active duty for almost three years and then I was in the reserves for seven years after that. Wow. Uh, I was a heavy equipment operator my whole career. Uh, And I have one deployment to Afghanistan. How long, how long were you deployed? Uh, For 10 months. That's a long time. Dang. Yeah. Okay. And then, so what's, what's really interesting to me is, so, you know, we've, we've been talking here a little bit on and off for the last couple of weeks and you made mention that you bought your first piece of ground at 22 years old and tell us a little bit about uh, where that was and in the story behind that. So uh, because of my enlistment program, I was the second one in the nation to sign up under this new active first program. It was the largest signing bonus option from any branch. So I was able to secure a, it was supposed to be a $40,000 bonus in total after everything. And you, you chose, you could choose two and a half years active and then finish your time with the reserves or with the national guard. So that's what I chose. I went active and then I was stationed in Fort Stewart, Georgia for a while. We got orders to deploy and I had just started hunting when I turned 18 or 19. I started rifle hunting with my uncle. Mm-hmm. My dad was never really into hunting, so, but we had a family farm in Missouri. So we went down to Missouri about two months before I deployed and noticed that the neighbor's property was for sale. So we, Called up the realtor last minute, had a tour, walked it, and decided we were going to pursue it. I, I say we because uh, I was living 16 hours away at the time. Mm-hmm. So my parents, I, writ, I had the power of attorney signed over to my parents' name. Mm-hmm. They started the purchase agreement. And by the time the paperwork was signed, I had already been in Afghanistan for a month. So wait a minute though, real quick. So how long was this, the family farm that was next to, to what you ended up buying? How long, I guess, tell us a little bit of history of that parcel. The family farm is a 167 acres, 24 acres tillable. The rest is timber. It's all part of a almost 500 acre timber in the hills of Missouri, mm-hmm. North East Missouri, Marion County. 
and that farm has been in the family for over a hundred years. That was my great grandma's uncle's farm. And that's been passed down through the generations. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, it was kind of a way for my dad and I to bond once I was in the army, uh, cause he was into cattle and farming and I was into cars and sports. So this new outlet for us to get together was hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then and I'm trying to think back here. So what year would that have been uh, when you went and walked it and ended up the uh, process of buying it? Uh, it would have been 2000, early 2010. Okay. What was, uh, what was the recreational land market then? Was it pretty soft down there? Uh, yeah, so it, it sold for $2,500 an acre, mm-hmm. which was actually probably the high end of the market then, but it had a double wide trailer on it at the time. Mm-hmm. And part of the agreement was the trailer was taken off, but it was one of those deals where the listing agent didn't know that it touched uh, my father's property mm-hmm. and compared to Illinois, it was still probably a thousand dollars cheaper per acre. Mm-hmm. So there, there was no question about it. If it, if I think it, all said and done, it was, it was close to a hundred thousand dollars. But if it would have cost one hundred fifty thousand, would have figured out some way to make it work. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're gonna buy it regardless. Yeah. So. Let me ask you this about, about this too, because when I was reading through that, it said, so you made mention that the sign-on bonus was like $40,000. And then yeah. when I was reading through that thing you sent over, what did you end up getting that full bonus or did it, or was there a, a mistake in your contract or not? So I used, I got my 20000 for going active duty. And then just because of paperwork and, and basic and basic training, because of my contract, you had the option to either stay in the national guard and you would end up giving up $20,000 or you sign for your two and a half years Mm -hmm. to get the 20 to go active. And then your contract changes hands. They kind of rewrite it. So in that process, the second part, the $20,000 enlistment to get back to the guard, was not written back into the contract and it was in there as an addendum. I had the original contract, but when you're young and you're getting yelled at by drill sergeants, you don't really ask the right questions. And the whole time I was just told it's fine. It'll get sorted out. So I didn't know I wasn't getting the second half of the bonus until I had gotten back from deployment. Mm Mm-hmm. And was two months away from getting out that uh, I didn't have it. So I kind of had to change my whole, my whole world kind of got turned up on its head because the money, the second 20,000 was going to go towards paying for the property while I went to school. Mm -hmm. But I decided that I needed to find a, a good paying job. So I started applying for railroad jobs. Mm-hmm. 
man, that had to be quite the uh, roller coaster uh, when you're when you're thinking you need to get that, and then uh, ultimately it, it did not pan out that way. That had to be yeah. super frustrating. Yeah, because uh, so before we went to Afghanistan, my time on my contract was getting close to the end, so I had to sign an extension to deploy. And then while we were deployed, our we were there in the troop surge before they found Bin Laden. So we were building up, we were building up small bases, small satellite bases, and oh, three quarters of the way through the deployment, the battalion commander had a, a meeting. And pretty much said that there was good news and bad news. And half of half of the company I was in was going to be forced to stay. And the other half was going to go home early. But because of the way my contract was set up and I extended my contract to go, I was one of the higher paid soldiers. So they didn't allow me to stay. Mm-hmm. So I was back home and out of the army before a lot of my buddies even got home. So I, I was working for the railroad for oh almost three months before my buddies got back from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Wow. And as far as the money goes, yeah, I, I don't know. I still kind of deal with that shock because you just go from having this grand plan to, uh, all right, now I got to make this work. So, but it just shows that if if you want something bad enough, you're going to do whatever it takes to get it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so walk us through a little bit about the actual purchasing process too. So I'm, I understand you're on deployment and then, but I guess what, what did you learn throughout that process? I mean, it was it was nice you were able to provide you know your family to take power of attorney and kind of handle that. Why uh, you were unable to do so? And that is the part that I can't speak a whole lot about because mm-hmm. I, like I said, I went and looked at it. It was it had to have been almost a month before it, it was our last leave before we deployed, mm-hmm. and so once. Once we got on that plane to leave, I didn't talk to my parents via phone or anything until I got a letter in the mail with a picture of my mom and dad holding up a sign saying Jay's place. So I didn't, I was out of the loop. They had power of attorney over my savings account and bank account. And I, was not a part of any of the nego- negotiations. <laughs> I knew that I didn't want the double wide trailer on it. Uh-huh. And other than that, I, I honestly didn't have much insight on it. I don't know. I wasn't there sitting down at the table mm-hmm. during the signing. Yeah. That's, that's cool that they were able to help you out with that. And <laughs> Usually that stuff isn't all that fun anyhow. So you kind of kind of, how cool was it when you're, when you're over there and you get something in the mail and then you have like 
So that had to be pretty uplifting to see, you know, them holding the signs to Jay, Jay's place. And then, you know, everything went through and, and you got it closed. So that was, I didn't have a wife. I didn't have a girlfriend or kids. And so the trail cam photos that came through the mail on flash drives, that was kind of my, uh, that was my motivation. That was my sole goal to get back to, to finally hunt it and get my hands on the property. I, uh, I can't really put into words the feeling, you know, at that time, my whole life revolved around deer hunting. So mm-hmm. it, it was a lot of the guys I was stationed with, they, they couldn't even relate. So a lot of the times I was just spent kind of daydreaming by myself. Yeah. So, and then as I read through uh, that document you sent over, there was a deer that you named the Monarch. Tell us a little bit about that whole uh, ordeal. So by the time I had gotten back, it was getting close to the rut. And uh, they give you leave after you get back before you out process. So I took that time to go hunting with my friends. And we, there's this deer. Uh, I don't know how to explain them. It kind of like a wild card. We had pictures of them at night. And uh, we, spent all this time talking off this plan about uh, we're going to go in here and do this and he's going to, well in the end it was just uh, pure luck that I went in there and <laughs> sat up on a ridge and you know in the, in November that's just the perfect time to catch a cruising box so I came by and zipped him and the rest is history. It was a uh, a beautiful climax to the whole situation that went on that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So, because <clears throat> um, when I was reading that, I, you you did recover him, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I was like, when I was reading, I was like, so I I. I you mentioned the uh, mentioned the white hair on the arrow, and I was like, "Well, did he, did he like give him a haircut below?" Or did, you know, like I didn't know. But so you you smoked him. Yeah, it, I hadn't shot a buck yet, so it was my first buck. And oh wow! To this day, total inches wise, it's my largest deer. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. You know, it was kind of, it was this game plan that was supposed to work, but I'll be honest, I'm not a very good hunter. It's it's hard to hunt in Missouri, especially when you're hunting almost 500 acres of continuous timber with no defined bedding areas. Yeah. So it was just, uh, he's in this area. We're going to hunt it. The wind was perfect. And he was there. I I wish I could go into more detail as far as like we set up this, you know, it was, I made it seem like it was a plan, but it was a lot of it was luck. And it's, it's been gut feeling. It's been, yeah, gut feeling and luck in Missouri for a while. The last two years we've started to develop bedding areas and 
places to hunt downwind, upwind of the bedding thicket. So this year down there is kind of like a sacrifice year. It's been it's been logged, and I've got guys in there doing TSI on it now. I've got some openings cut in there for future food plots. So, uh, I don't know, kind of excited to see what it brings down there. I haven't even put cameras up, so. Yeah, maybe you'll get uh, a nice surprise there, but that sounds cool. And and to have, uh, you know, the 45, 35 acres that butts up to a parcel that large that I guess you have exclusive whatever you want to do on your own ground. And then that had to be cloud nine when you shot, you know, basically your target buck that you were getting picture of pictures of when you were in Afghanistan, came back and actually shot the deer that uh, that you wanted to. That's that had to be uh, about as cool as it gets. Yeah, it takes like, like I said, uh, I could express my feelings better in writing than I can now, mm-hmm. uh, but it takes all the pain and sacrifice and hurt and makes it worth it. Uh, now being 34 with two young kids and not being able to hunt like I used to, it kind of makes it even more sweet because that, uh, I don't know exactly how old you are or what your situation is, but once you get older, time absolutely flies Yes, yeah, that scares the heck out of me because I'm 27 and I turned 27 in August and I'm already starting to notice that. And I wish there was a slow down button and I know it hasn't even got to full speed yet. <laughs> and you'll, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, uh, hunting there, it starts to take a back burner mm-hmm. and you get to this point in your hunting or, or I guess it'd be more if you own property, you get into this point where you just want to see you want to see if you can make the property as great as it could be mm-hmm. uh, for all all species so that's kind of where i'm at now uh yeah that's where that's where i'm at with missouri i'm trying to see i want to have something that no one else has yeah uh, as far as deer hunting i don't have the time I don't have the time anymore like I used to to monitor cell cams and then fly down there on a weekday to catch a buck that's on a pattern. Mm -hmm. So uh, one thing that you mentioned uh, when we were talking too is you paid that parcel off by the age of 26 too. Is that right? That's correct. So That's awesome. I had it paid off in 20... 16 my wife and i had been married for a year and my wife has a master's degree so when we got married we started our marriage with uh, almost one hundred sixty thousand dollars in student debt loans and i had roughly ooh seventy thousand sixty thousand dollars in property mm-hmm. but uh because I worked for the railroad and I still lived at my parents, I saved up quite a bit of money. So mm-hmm. once we kind of got our house, the house that we live in now, since we were first time home buyers, we were able to get the 0% down. Mm-hmm. 
And once that happened, I was able to dump the rest of the money into the property. I knew I wanted to get that out of the way and start hacking away at the Weiss student loans. So what does your wife do for work? She's a speech pathologist. She works at a hospital and helps with stroke victims and patients that have like cognitive issues and swallowing issues. So it's, it's a, it's a pretty good job for the area Mm -hmm. and we're, we've been able now in the last, we've lived here for six years. So three years after we lived here, we managed to get rid of all of our student debt, all of the, the 37 acres in Missouri is paid off free and clear. Mm -hmm. And we were able to put a, I don't know, 900 square foot addition on the house. Oh, solid. And that was paid for uh, with no loan. That was cash money as we go. And I think at least 50% of the work I did on my own. I, I paid I paid someone to do concrete and I paid someone to weather and frame it up and weather it in. Mm-hmm. And then I took care of the roof siding and then I did all the finish work. Wow. What... Uh- what provoked to be so financially disciplined? Cause that takes a lot of focus to do what you guys did. Uh, well, I realized after meeting my wife that she wasn't really, she really wasn't into material things. So that was a bonus and that's kind of how we live our life. Neither one of us drive brand new vehicles. Uh, the newest vehicle we own is actually my truck, which it doesn't get many miles put on it. I drive a a thousand dollar work car, and she drives a nine year old uh, Nissan Rogue. So we don't have these large car payments. We don't have internet. No internet. No internet. No Holy cable. God. Dang, off the grid almost. Yeah, we, <laughs> in my eyes, yeah. We uh. We don't, yeah, we don't spend a lot. So it's not, we don't uh, have flashy stuff. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And so as, as we're kind of walking through your land journey here, so you had 37 acres at 22 years old, you paid it all off at 26. And then you mentioned you bought a house where you're at now. And how many acres did that have? Cause I, cause now you've pieced together like this, uh, this, this homestead. Yeah, so that started the journey here. Uh, uh, the original house and acreage we bought here was a house on 8.3 acres. And it was it was one of those love at first sights for me. The house was tiny. It was only 1,200 square feet. It only had one, one technical bedroom and then a loft. And it had two bathrooms, one in the loft area and one in the basement. Uh, a small galley kitchen and we knew once we started having kids we were gonna have to add on and with the way the property laid we're kind of in the flatland area mm-hmm. we're like five miles north of where the flatland kind of ends it starts getting more rolling hills so this the way the property sets it's kind of it's different than most of the properties on acreage where we live so 
to me, the house didn't matter. I knew I could always make the house bigger. It was, you couldn't find a piece of land like it. So when we bought the house in 2015, the realtor said we overpaid for the house, which was 165,000. Mm-hmm. But now <laughs> after 2020, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, without, ha- house and acreage and, uh, the part of the state where you're at. Yeah. That's uh, not a bad place to be. <laughs> no, the, just out of curiosity, I've had it reappraised since, but out of curiosity, I was just wondering what Zillow had it priced at with the Zestimate. <laughs> the original, uh-huh. right. The original, the original pictures and photos from when we bought the house without the addition, it had, the Zestimate was at two ten. So uh, yeah, add add nine hundred square feet, and you know, which, yep, uh, you know, add put a hundred dollars a square foot on there. I mean, pack on another ninety grand pretty easily. And so, appraised value now it, it's at it's at two seventy. Uh huh. And that's just the house on eight acres, and we're surrounded by houses that are appraising two fifty, two forty. So we're setting pretty good. We have a lot of equity in the house now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Then to basically cash flow that addition too. So you you bought that parcel, you fell in love with the home, and then what what happened after that? Because you you've pieced you started with eight and you have quite a bit more than that. So as soon as we moved in, there's another house there was a house behind us on I think it's 26 acres. And there was a Mennonite family that lived there. Uh, they didn't really go out or do anything. And since I bought this house, I wanted to hunt. I went over there like in the first week and asked the gentleman if I could hunt. Well, he had he had someone that hunted it, so I wasn't allowed. And I told him from the first day I met him that if you ever wanted to sell it, I'd be interested. Mm-hmm. I'd pay you fair market value, maybe more. And I, he said, okay, I'll, I'll let you know. You, know, I don't know if you know how that works. Usually it's who's this guy? Who does he think he is coming over here? So I, we went a year It kind of nothing came to fruition. I just thought I'd reach out. The next year goes by. I approached him again. I, he had it. They had the house listed on the market for an obscene amount of money. And I went over and approached him and said, Hey, if you ever want to, I'd still be interested in buying the timber off of you mm-hmm. and I'll give you top dollar. You can still sell the house in six acres and, and still figure it out. Well, he thought about it a little bit harder. He said he'd, he'd get back to me. He had to figure out a price. So he, he threw a wild price out there. He threw a hundred thousand dollars out for 18 acres. Mm-hmm. So I started talking to bankers and I uh, realized I could do it if I wanted to do it. So I said, yeah, let, let's go ahead and do it. Well, then he didn't think I could get the money. So that's why I threw the, threw the offer out there. <laughs> uh-huh. So he retracted and said he, he was going to wait. So they took the house back off the market. And this is where it kind of gets sad is he ended up developing uh, he ended up getting cancer in the blood. Oh, geez. So yeah, the, 
that ended up taking a turn for the worse. The wife ended up contacting me and about selling it because she wanted to move. And I was able to pick up the property then. What so I guess from initial conversation to when you actually you know got some ink on a purchase agreement, how long was that? Just so people have an idea. Uh, from the hundred thousand to so eighteen eighteen months, and I ended up I ended up picking it up for sixty thousand dollars. Wow! It it came out to oh twenty. I'd have yeah, to do the sixty thousand divided by eighteen. Yeah, uh, three thousand three hundred and thirty-three dollars and thirty-three okay. cents per acre. Yep. <laughs> so, and I I went to her and told her at the time, rent ground was going from twenty-seven to forty-five. It really depended on the area, and this this timber that I bought was landlocked with no easement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I told her. I can give you because when by the time that all happened, I was just finishing the addition. Mm-hmm. So when I started negotiating with him, that was before the addition. So all the cash I had saved up was going to just buy the property. Yeah. So I I started the addition and finished it, and that actually allowed me to take out a a cash out refinanced. So mm-hmm. I just used that cash to buy the property. Uh, and everything worked out with her. She was actually able to sell her house, which I valued the house at 220,000. She was able to sell it for 240,000. So she ended up, they ended up getting pretty close to what they wanted originally to that 300,000. So, um, which, I mean, there's value to, to, you know, taking that 18 acres off, their hands. Cause I mean, there's people like us that want acreage for, you know, to be able to hunt out your backyard, but there's a lot of people that, that really don't care. They just want to live in the country. And as long as you have a big yard, they're happy. Uh, so to take that extra money off, uh, people having to buy the house, uh, can really help broaden the, the people that would buy their, their actual home. That's true. And that that's what they started to realize was a lot of the people that were looking at buying the house were coming from the city and they weren't they weren't obsessed with having timber yeah. ground or managing so many acres and they assumed that taxes were going to be through the roof they yeah. they didn't know about the in the state of Illinois if you have your timber ground listed in a uh timber stewardship program you actually can have your taxes assessed at i think it's at or close to egg value so the taxes are actually not bad at all yeah well and so at least where the county are where i'm at too so typically in every every county in every part of the country can be a little bit different but i'll just explain this too so usually they take you know whatever the county let's say let's say you have a house in 30 acres, 40 acres, 50 acres. They have the yard. So like the house in the actual yard, whatever the yard is considered that size, maybe it's a quarter acre that's assessed at one version. So usually that's like whatever the actual house is worth. And then the remaining, let's say 29.75 acres is assessed at the soil type as well. 
So like the state has this statewide soil map. And if it's this type of soil and it looks like it's crappy because it's all hills and you know it's all timber soil, then the taxes are much lower. If it was really good dirt, then the taxes are going to be higher too. But yeah, and to add it into a stewardship program, then that's even more uh, tax breaks. And I did that uh, when we bought the original house on eight acres, it was taxed all residential. Mm -hmm. So after living here for a year, I had already, uh, I don't remember the exact program. It's small acres for wildlife or something through the state of Illinois. You, you go online, you fill out the application and you can, you can start doing wildlife programs on your property and then there'll be a gentleman or a female from the Springfield area will come out. They'll walk your property. They'll overview your plan and they'll sign off. So I went from having eight acres residential to one acre in the house residential and the rest was zoned as timber or ag. So that helped drop the property taxes also. Yeah. That, yeah, that's, that's, I've never, uh, I've never really even really noticed that program. I just Googled it and uh, I'm about to look into this pretty interesting. And also this was, this was right when Rauner was in office and there was the, uh, it was almost two years, I think, where he had froze a lot of the spending. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I had talked to the state wildlife biologist, uh, there was the program that I, enrolled in you could get funding from the biologist to do some of these programs Mm -hmm. and i was set to get funding to put a uh, a shallow pond in our backyard Mm -hmm. but because of the way it was with the administration he couldn't write a check so i was set up to get like a eight thousand (laughs) dollar grant to Uh put this pond in sweet uh, but you can never (laughs) release the money which was it was never like a, a deal breaker. Just if you're going to do a project, you might as well get paid to do half of it, I guess is my thought. Yeah. Yeah. The little cost sharing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you'd be crazy not to explore those options. That's cool. Yeah. I'm looking at it here. I'm going to dive into that more and uh, I'll put that program in the, the show notes here too. So, so then you had the original eight, you bought 18. So that puts you close to 26, right? Or That's no, correct. Yeah. And then did you scoop up some more? So I don't know how much it's not. <laughs> not I don't know yet. Much, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's, yeah. it's a signed purchase agreement. Uh, uh, we have to close by the end of the month. Uh-huh. And is it to that, the Northeast of you? It's directly to the East. Okay. Uh, so it kind of, uh, it's going to be, plus or minus four acres uh-huh. and so when we moved into the house uh we had lived here for three or four months i had went over uh, and t- was talking with the neighbor and he pointed out that their power line is ran underground through our yard to service their house mm-hmm and so that was that was news to me. That was never disclosed when On we title bought search. Our yeah, yeah. When you do a title search, it would say, you know, 
there's X power lines at these coordinates going under or above uh, your property. He informed me that he had bought the he had bought the agreement from the previous owner to run the power line to their house. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, it was a non-issue because they're great people and there's no sense in causing a fuss uh, if you're going to be their neighbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never really forgot about it because pre-COVID, we were thinking about building a bigger garage mm-hmm. and the way the power line laid, it kind of hampered where we could put the garage. So mm-hmm. it started to become an issue then. I, I just wanted to have, I wanted to talk to someone to see if I could ever move that line. How much leverage do I have? What's the legality of it? So the lawyer that I talked to when I bought the 18 acres, I gave him a call and he told me if there wasn't a surveyed easement, I might have, I might have a foot to stand on. So I kept that in the back of my mind. Fast forward two years, the neighbor uh, came up to me and said they're going to be selling their property. And I told them I was very interested in buying it. Uh, the house and the 10 acres because I wanted to move the line off my property. Mm -hmm. And if I could, if the numbers worked out, I would just move the line, subdivide four acres, put the house back on the market and try and get out of it without losing any money. Mm -hmm. But that never worked out because they're, they're, value they had for the house in their head was not meeting the value that I was seeing. Mm -hmm. So the offer kind of fell through on the house and that turned into, uh, well, we need to figure this power line out because if, if you're moving, uh, it's an, it's a non-issue now, but I don't know what I'm going to be getting for a neighbor. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I guess I can make this a short story. Short story is uh, I have a new agreement with him over the power line in exchange for buying four acres. Uh, I would give them a written easement, which wouldn't allow me to move the line. But I, I have the new easement coming in from a from the north, which won't affect any of my yard. It'll be coming along the boundary line. And then I would, if I chose to move the line, I would be responsible for the cost to get it through my property to their property. And then they would be in charge of the secondary line from the transformer to their house. So I was able to use the line as leverage to negotiate a price on the four acres because they wouldn't, they, it was running into a point where if I wanted to be a bad person, I could just have the power cut and they would be out. So well, yeah. But I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to have 
a written a written document saying that I had the ability to move the line since it wasn't under an easement mm-hmm. um, without having to fight a battle with the new landowner. So that's that's all taken care of, and then I have a signed purchase agreement for the four acres. It got surveyed on Monday, and since when you're kind of doing this. Keep in mind the whole time they didn't have any representation or realtor. So that whole journey was a struggle. Mm. It wasn't until I put a sign up in the yard about illegal power line that (laughs) the wheels started to move Uh and and, uh, were able to get something signed. Because uh, to them, it was a non-issue because they were going to be moving and they knew if it was disclosed in the, in buying the house, it would lower the value. Uh, but it also lowered the value of my house because there's a power line running through it. And if we would have known about it, would it have changed us buying the house? Probably not. We would have probably negotiated a better price. Mm -hmm. And at that point, everything would have been taken care of. So, yeah, I guess the moral of the story is pay the extra money and have your utilities on your own property because eventually sometime you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good insight. Yeah, that's not that's an issue don't really hear about too often. But uh, when it's prevalent, yeah, it's something you want to get to the bottom of. So. So that would put you close to 30 there uh, for your homestead. And let's see. So and you still have the 37 in Missouri. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Do you think you probably always hold on to that? Uh, yeah, that uh, that property has so much emotion tied to it. Mm-hmm. There's been two times now where I've deba- debated about selling it. Uh, I I was in a property negotiation for almost 200 acres up here by us. It's, it was amazing ground. It had great income. It would have paid for itself if you could have came up with the down payment. Mm-hmm. And that was one of those properties where I, I would have tried to sell it uh, to someone in the family or someone with some sort of language in there that I would have a chance at buying it back in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I could never get the guy to sign the paperwork. So red flags were kind of going up. Like there might be something here. That's not the, the two, the owner of the 200 acres to sign. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because it, it's a, uh, it's all flood ground. It was, uh, it was listed at 200 acres, but when you started doing the math on the plat book, it wasn't adding up to 200. So the price was negotiated by acre, uh, acre price, not by total price. Sur- surveyed or deeded. Surveyed acre yeah, price, yeah, correct. Yeah. That's kind of what he was balking at. There was a number he wanted and it wasn't getting to it, but I, I don't know. He, The games were getting a little a little wild there, but it, it, the total income, cause it was all CRP mm-hmm. uh, and it wasn't CRP with 
uh, grasses. It was CRP with tree planting. Mm-hmm. And it was bringing in $35,000 a year. Wow. So that alone would have covered the payments if you could get the down payment. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what the down payment was going to be. It was going to be like 200 some thousand. But and that, I tried I mean, still all, a chunk. Yeah. <laughs> I tried all kinds of, uh, trying to work it out. Uh, I was trying to get a, uh, forester in there and get a, uh, estimated value on timber mm-hmm. and getting a signed document saying, once the property is sold, the, the value of the timber is this much that'll be used to pay uh, towards the down payment. Like a, I've heard of it being done. I'd never done it. So I explored that option. Have you ever heard of that being done? I've heard of it and it's tough. I You'd have to find the right bank for sure. I think there's a bank here locally that would do it as I've asked him some more questions like, in terms of, I haven't directly asked them that specific scenario, but I asked, you know, hey, if this place has fifty thousand dollars worth of uh, timber that, you know, would be open to to getting cut, are you able to use that as collateral on the actual loan? And I got a it depends answer, so that tells me that there's <laughs> there's some level of hope there. Yeah, I I think you would have to almost have, uh, you would have to almost have a logger signed agreement. Yeah. Um, for that to go through but the more property dealings i've dealt with the more uh, the only limitation is your imagination yeah yeah uh, that's definitely what i'm getting here talking to you uh, sounds like uh, you've done some creative thinking out of the box thinking to make deals go through and i think some people get stuck you know thinking it has to go one way or aren't realize can't realize like you said if you can dream it up and uh, get it on paper that you could probably make happen. And the reason I had, I have cash saved up to, to buy these four acres and two, almost two and a half of it's tillable mm-hmm. uh, from this neighbor. Uh, I have another, I have another piece of property that touches mine that I'm secretively trying to work at. Uh, uh-huh. I don't know how much I can disclose mainly because I don't want, uh, anyways, I'll say it because uh, it's been two years now and I haven't seen much progress, but it's state owned ground. <laughs> uh-huh. And I went to the County clerk and checked the records and kind of got an idea. Sometimes I, it's an old rest area. So sometimes in those, uh, when that property was purchased, depending on the way it was written, sometimes that property is donated. If it's donated, uh, if the state is not using it or hasn't used it, because it's been abandoned now for 15 years, Mm -hmm. I heard through someone that you could um, argue that if it's not being used, it could be relinquished back to the original landowner or surrounding landowners at fair market value. So Mm. I've gotten as far as 
the last I heard that everything is good to go. They're waiting on it to be surveyed and assessed, but the way the state moves. Yeah. And since COVID hit, it's kind of, I haven't heard any more information. So mm-hmm. uh, at some point that might go up to auction and I'd like to take a chance at buying that. So, and I've talked about this in private with someone else before. Does that auction go, is that public or is that just like on a random state so of Illinois be, website? It'll be the way I understand is it, if it come up for auction, it would be posted for one week or two week in the paper. Uh-huh. And then it would be um, at like a banquet hall. Uh-huh. So um, it, it would be a live auction. Like, uh, actually, they before COVID, everything was live auction. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I talked to them last, they said because of the way COVID is, it would be a sealed bid auction, which is something I wouldn't want. Well, uh, why is that? Well, a sealed bid to me is kind of you're kind of really rolling the dice, like, uh, money there would obviously be a top end price I wouldn't want to spend, mm-hmm. but I would rather go to the top end price than trying to lowball with a yeah. bid price and not get it. Yeah. Um, I'd like to be face to face with whoever's buying it and know, okay, even if I got to go, even if I have to go 10,000 over my max, it property eventually, if you hold on to it long enough, will, bring that value back like Mm -hmm. i don't remember who said it but there's no time heals all bad land transactions so (laughs) like that it and my end goal with buying that four acres would be able to negotiate with my new neighbor to get if i bought it's like four acres if i could buy that i would trade two acres to my neighbor and able to get that access to my 18 and four acres. So if something came down the line, I could sell that portion off. Yeah. Because in order for my cash out refinance to go through, since that property I bought was landlocked, even though I was paying cash for it, the bank wanted an easement back to it. So I have a, a written easement that's only good for myself to get back to the 18 acres just for the loan to go through. Interesting. Hmm. Well, it sounds like you got a lot going on there just in your little neighborhood. I'll, I'll give you that. You're yeah, the, it, you're the deal maker there. It's interesting because I didn't understand. I still don't understand why it, why I needed to write an easement to myself through my own property. Yeah to buy something that was going to be bought with cash that's paid free and clear for. Yeah. Do you have a good real estate attorney you work with? Like that was all your transactions. I have the, one of the best real estate attorneys in the area. Uh, He's, I don't know if he's semi-retired. He doesn't do any, he won't go to court for anything. So he's mainly like, transaction like uh yes he does the title work and stuff yes yeah. he, he'll tell you like he's not he's getting too old to go and <laughs> do the disputes so the new new attorney i got 
over the power line. He he's pretty knowledgeable too. So uh, there's two guys here that are very knowledgeable. They're able to they've seen and done it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been very helpful. Yeah, that's having a having someone having a resource in your corner to ask any question you you can dream up is I think really important to have a, a full understanding or at least a, a basis of what the heck's going on and what are, what are some potential outcomes. And uh, also when I bought that 18 acres, I, I probably owned it for three months and I had a forester in there and wrote a forestry plan. Mm-hmm. And this is my second year of submitting it for equip. So hopefully I, <laughs> Hopefully I get picked up this next year mm-hmm. for equip program. But if doing the equip, uh, there's potential to make $15,000. So mm-hmm. explain what that is real quick for anyone that's curious. Uh, equip is a, a federal program that cost shares you to do work to improve habitat improve like health of ecosystem mm-hmm. and that's money paid to the owner and you can either you can either contract that work out or do it yourself or do it, or do it by yourself mm-hmm. um, and then it has to be verified by a forester the check comes in the mail and uh yeah I, I, times it's uh, it's an easy way to pay for stuff that you're already doing. I shouldn't say easy. It takes some footwork and it takes time, uh, but it's one of those things where if you have to start it yesterday. Yeah. What's the What's the first step to do that for anyone that maybe has a, a little bit of acreage and wants to start it? The first step would be, it depends on which state you live in. Like Illinois and Missouri are night and day different. So the state of Illinois, it's a lot of, there's a lot of hoops to jump through just to get a, a forestry plan. So you can go to your NRCS office and say, Hey, I want a forestry plan. I don't have most forestry plans are like a minimum of 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you say, Hey, I want, can I sign up for a grant to get a forestry plan? That takes a year. You can get grant money. Uh, and then you pay a, a private forester to come write the plan that gets certified by the state forester. And then once you have that plan, that's what all the NRCS equip programs are written off of. Mm-hmm. That dictates that dictates the price per acre of what your project will get. There's medium, high, low on TSI. There's different levels of brush management so like treating invasive species that mm-hmm. all carries a different price point too which uh missouri on the other hand that is a state that most states should strive to be like because they their state forestry it's free to the landowner to get a forestry plan you go talk to your state forester they'll uh, sign you up They'll send the bids off. The state pays a private contractor if they don't have the manpower to do it. 
And within six months, you have a forestry plan that didn't cost you anything. And you're able to use that plan to get equipped. Yeah, that's nice. If I had, if anyone was on the fence, it's, it's totally worth it to spend the money, get a forester, get it done. Because when you're talking in like growing season times, that puts you one year ahead. Yeah. If you're waiting that extra year to get the cost share, that's not always guaranteed either. It, it just puts you one year, one year and those years start adding up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great advice. <clears throat> I think, uh, this, and just to have, uh, someone that's a professional to, to break down, uh, what your recommendations are. Cause I mean, that's what they do every day and, uh, they have a beyond an expertise and I'm sure what I would. Yeah. And, and, uh, I've done it several times, you know, uh, if you go to a listing and they say, uh, mature timber or something, you know, pay, pay an extra hundred bucks, get a, a reputable, uh, forester to go with you. And they'll be able to walk the property and they'll give you a pretty good idea, plus or minus $5,000 of what the value of that timber is, what the condition is. Mm-hmm. And that is worth its money in gold because if, if you're not familiar with it and you're just going out there buying, you could be buying a timber full of black locust, which doesn't have much value and it's really just a bear to get rid of mm-hmm. um, that would be that would be a pointer that i would say if you're buying a large track of timber there may be deer and turkey on it but you still you're still never going to unlock the full potential if you're dealing with a degraded ecosystem mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's that's all great great insight and i think most people, by large, people do not exercise that right or uh, idea. But I think, you know, when you're getting ready to spend that much money, any additional information you can garner uh, can be huge. And so the 18 acres here with the timber, I've had a logger come in. I've had it marked for a sale. I've had it sent to, to being bid and I've had offers back, but it, I had an offer for uh, $11,000 to have 80 logs taken out. Well, it just, you can always refuse that offer. But now I know if I was in a pinch, I could contact that same logger and liquefy that asset. Even if it wasn't at the 11,000, maybe I could come at them with a lower number. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good to know. It, it, you don't have to cut either, you know, the forester was saying, you know, he didn't really think that the value, the value of having the timber cut was not quite worth the value that the logger uh, bid it at. Uh, and it's mainly just because it's a small acre, it's landlocked. It has to do, you have to get permission from yeah. adjoining landowners to skid logs. That really lowers the value. So hopefully, in the next couple of years, I can get something figured out. Uh, and if the timber prices keep going the way they're going, I, I might be at 15 or 16,000. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's huge. And it, it sounds like, uh, for as short of time, you've really been there in the grand scheme of things, you've done a really good job of putting together what you have 
uh, already. Yeah. I, and like, uh, uh, my biggest thing is I, uh, I want to be able to, I said, I talked earlier about you transition from being like a hunter to more of like a manager. Yep. And after doing the, the projects around here, I, I can see the potential of what it brings for wildlife. And I just really uh, want to have the largest footprint I can and do the best I can. Yeah. You sent me some deer pictures over there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you got some slammers there for uh, that size of a parcel too. Don't let anyone fool you. Yeah. Uh, two years ago, I found two sets of shed antlers and I would say the largest buck was a mainframe eight heavy. Was it the one? And, did you send that one or no? Yes, that yeah. was that was one of them. Uh-huh. That buck was found on the eighteen acres, both sheds. He was probably he's got to be in the one sixties for an eight pointer. He's huge. Yeah, and then there was a second buck. I never. I don't know if I sent you his pictures. I haven't seen him yet this year. I had him last year. He's also an eight-pointer, palmated, and I found his sheds two years ago in our front yard in our wildflower planting. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've noticed here in the last four years that if you do the work, you get the timber to do its regeneration, and I kind of live in – there's egg, there's a little bit of – I guess you could call it like a suburb type area. The deer are here. And when it comes to all the crops being taken out, if you've got the best, healthiest timber, the deer just really flock to it. That's all they have for forage mm-hmm. uh, when it gets to that late season. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a, that's a great point. I think a lot of people traditionally think that, you know, when you're looking at a map and you see timber, like oh that looks great and then you go in there and it's just a desert <laughs> there's like no forage or anything on the ground but you and know I, and i can see some guys justify like uh my arch nem- nemesis here is bush honeysuckle it's a yeah. low growing invasive shrub and i will agree it, it offers pretty good cover if you have a degraded ecosystem because it's the only thing growing from 14 feet down yep once you remove that you take a lot of the cover away but if you cut enough trees cut enough of the junk understory it only takes two years and you'll be just as thick as you were with bush honeysuckle so that's the transition i'm in now is i removed a lot of the honeysuckle the first year it was kind of bare and and the deer were still using a lot of the parts that i hadn't cleared from honeysuckle but after after two years, those stump sprouts, it, it thickens up pretty quick. And, you know, it, it's one of those things you don't notice. Uh, you, you won't notice unless you take before and after. And then another after picture two years later. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that, you have to send some of those pictures. I'll be curious because, I mean, the bush honeysuckle is everywhere. <laughs> and I think that's the that's the first question always everyone has. Like, okay, so you take that out now what like yeah what's there's gonna be no cover uh but 
you know, knowing that if you, you trim out some of those less desirable trees and. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and when most people hunt during the rut covers king, mm-hmm. but when you get into that late season, if you don't have standing grain, the deer really need forage. And so the covers not, they can't browse bush honeysuckle. Nope. Uh, if they do, they're starving, but I have basswood trees that were, that were cut down two years ago. This stump sprouts last year, they six, seven feet tall. And by the end of winter last year, every single one was eaten down to a uh, you know, pencil thick stem. Mm-hmm. double-sided sword is if you build it they will come and then they will come and destroy everything you've built so (laughs) yeah it's a catch-22 for sure yeah well i think uh maybe i'd have you on another time to talk about transforming uh transforming some some smaller properties because sounds like you've done a good job but i certainly appreciate you hopping on here uh early saturday morning and uh, it's very cool to hear about how you've pieced everything together and uh, want to thank you on behalf of everyone for your service. And uh, it was certainly a, a pleasure to, to talk about your land endeavors. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I, I enjoyed the podcast. Uh, I just discovered it about a month ago. So I, I see good things going with it. And uh, people that buy a lot of property, they, I can see how they'd be interested because he said the only limitation to some of these uh, negotiations going through is just what you can think of. So the more I can learn from you uh, and other guests, the more pumped I am to see what I can get thrown together. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. How, real quick. How'd you find the podcast out of, out of curiosity? Actually, I heard it from the Habitat podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, yeah. Then I checked it out. I, I, I listen to Habitat podcast, Land and Legacy podcast, your podcast. I discovered they have this Pond U podcast. That's pretty good if you have a small pond. Uh huh. Yeah, those are my those are my go tos. Heck yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's awesome to have all these outlets for very niche categories, and you, you can definitely learn a lot uh, in a in an easy way just by listening as you're driving or working that's that's 100 true awesome well i once again i appreciate it thank you for your service and uh i wasn't if if uh sometimes we let people track you down if you want someone to track you down i can i can link to anything you'd like otherwise uh, we just certainly appreciate you taking the time to to share your journey here well uh, i'm on facebook but i don't uh i don't post a lot of pictures of I don't post pictures of the deer I'm seeing in my area because I don't want people to know. And I, yeah. I don't, I give a huge props to anyone that does a lot of habitat stuff and post pictures because I, I just don't know how they have the time. I, I just never get it done. So I don't, uh, I, I'm kind of just a, a ghost there when it comes yeah. to that stuff. But if you're interested in native plantings and stuff, I, I post a little bit other than that. Yeah, I just, uh, I'm interested in, in uh, land stuff, so. Right on. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, uh, you have a great rest of your day. There you guys have it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Thanks to Jay for hopping on here and telling about all of the stories. Thank you for his service in the past. And I look forward to talking again here with Jay about the Equip programs and how someone could take advantage of some of these programs that um, provide some level of cost sharing for different projects. So we hope you guys enjoy. As always, the link tree has all the resources that you can check out here uh, in regard to this podcast. And also... As you know, written reviews really help us out. That's all I'll say. Until next week, see you guys.